0: Thanks, Emma. Uh, please keep your Bibles open. If you haven't got a Bible and you'd like one, they're at the back. Please grab one. No, uh, yeah, please, please feel free to do that. Um, let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's Word. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for many ways you encourage us, and we just pray that you would speak to us today, that you'd help us as we consider these things, that you would... Um, Speak, uh, Lord, and work in our hearts. Help us to to see your truth. Amen. Amen. Is weakness a good thing? Is it a good thing? You wouldn't find many politicians that would say it is, would you? In fact, what happens if if any sort of weakness is exposed, uh, the the opposite party kind of pounce on it, don't they? Uh, Any sort of weakness like that. When we're applying for jobs, we don't kind of have a list. Here's my weaknesses. Here's a list of my weaknesses. And sometimes you get asked that question, don't you, in job interviews. oh, what's your greatest weakness? And you don't ever say a weakness. You kind of try and say something that's actually a strength. And you just sort of twist it so it sounds like a weakness. And you say, well, I'm too devoted to my work or something like that. Uh, we don't like to, to, to come across as weak, do we? The world looks for people who are performing, who are strong, We're achieving great things. But I think spiritually, we see throughout scripture that actually God looks for a different sort of heart. And we're going to think about that today. We're going to uh, see how that plays out in this passage. Uh, We're going to think about uh, how that connects to prayer in particular. We're starting a new series over the summer months, uh, thinking about prayer. Part of our vision for the year uh, was to think about how do we grow in prayer, how do we strengthen our corporate prayer life and our prayer lives as individuals, and we thought, well, what, a better, way to do, what better way to do that than to look at Scripture uh, over the summer. So we'll be looking at various points and seeing what it has to, to say to us. And we're beginning with this account from the life of Jacob. Maybe it seems like a strange choice to you, uh, but actually there's a lot to, to teach us uh, about maybe how we approach God, the posture we come with, uh, and kind of how we come to him. So I think it's a really helpful starting point for our series. Uh, hopefully you'll see as we go through uh, why that makes sense. Uh, but I think before we get to this passage, we need to understand something about Jacob. We need to understand the backstory what Jacob was like. So let me introduce you to Jacob the wrestler. Jacob the wrestler. I think it's a good way to describe him. If you go back to Genesis 25, even in the womb, before he was born, it says he jostled with his brother there was this tension, there was this, this, this kind of fight going on, even inside the womb. Uh, he was the son of Isaac, he who was, he was the son of Abraham. A really significant family in the Bible, as you may know. But when the twins were born, Esau came out first, his brother. Uh, and all the rights that would come with that in that culture, the firstborn, would be Esau's. But actually, Jacob comes out holding firm, holding on to the heel of Esau. And that's how he comes into the world. And he's named Jacob, which means grabbing the heel. And in Hebrew, that was a a phrase that means deceiver, a trickster, someone uh, like that. And you know what? He lives up to his name. He is cunning, he's always coming out on top. He tricks Esau, or he sort of talks Esau into giving over the firstborn birthright to him. And then later, as Uh, His father is is laying there dying. His mother dresses him up like Esau with sort of furry arms. And he goes and receives the blessing that was meant for the firstborn. Esau finds out. And this is what he says in verse 36 of uh, chapter 27. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Jacob lives up to his name the deceiver, the trickster. He, he flees from Esau's anger. He goes off to, to his uncle Laban's house. And actually there, he meets another person probably that would live up to that sort of name. Laban uh, keeps him there working for many years. He ends up marrying both of Laban's daughters. And uh, he's, yeah he, he kind of meets his match in Laban, if you read those accounts. But he's hardworking. He perseveres. Uh, and he kind of comes up on top he, he has many children he gains lots of wealth and actually through through these through this time as you read these accounts you see that God promises to bless Jacob tells ultimately says to Jacob to go back to the land he had come from but even as he leaves he, he uses his coming to kind of further his wealth at Laban's expense uh, that's a very quick snapshot of the previous chapters If we get to the start of chapter 32, what you see is Jacob is heading home. He's heading back with his family, with a huge amount of possessions. But there's this question in his mind. I'm going back to Esau, who I tricked out of all these things. What's he going to be like? Is he still angry with me? There's this real uncertainty in his heart. And if you look at verse 3, you see he sends out messengers to Esau to kind of find out what's going on. They come back and he says, oh, he's coming to see you with 400 men. 400 men, that, that can't be a good thing, can it? You sort of think, uh-oh, that sounds like a small army coming my way, and all I've got my family and my possessions. Doesn't sound good, does it? And what does Jacob immediately do? He's like, right, I've got to think here. Okay, I'm going to split everything in half. I'm going to split my possessions in two. So if Esau comes for one, the other one can get away. Again, using his head, he's got that kind of cunning mindset. The second thing he does is pray. You see that in verse 9. Uh, have a skim over it. I'm not going to read it, but have a skim over that. I think that's encouraging. I think it's a good prayer. He's obeying God by returning, he says. He's recognizing God's grace and kindness to him. He's asking God to save him from Esau because of God's promise. So it's a good prayer. But straight afterwards, do you see what he does? He starts sending all these huge gifts towards Esau. Sort saying, oh, take these sheep, take these cattle. You know, sending all these things towards Esau, trying to sort of, Make sure that, you know, he gets in Esau's good books. So I think there's something there, isn't there? He's praying in faith, but then he's also kind of doing his own thing. Putting something in place to kind of make sure that things work out by his own actions. So that's why I call him Jacob the wrestler. See, he's always kind of had this kind of conflict. He's always been fighting to stay on top. He's always been trying to keep the advantage. He is living up to his name. But then what happens next in this passage? It changes everything. We find a life-changing fight. A life-changing fight. It's the night before Esau arrives. where he meets Esau. He knows it's close. He moves his family and possessions kind of over the river towards Esau. And he sort of stays behind. That's strange, isn't it? Why isn't he not ahead? I imagine it was perhaps to protect his family, maybe that they would be away from him when Esau arrived but there he is on his own in the darkness maybe he's praying maybe he's reflecting we don't know what what he was doing maybe preparing in some sense for the next day but look at what happens verse 24 Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak now look we don't know what time of night it was when he family crossed over but it's suggesting, isn't it, this fight was a long fight. They were locked in this conflict for hours and hours. You had to be really strong to kind of to do that physically. And Jacob's up for it. This mystery person who wants to wrestle in me, he's like, I'm good at this. I'm a wrestler. I, I, I'm, you know, it's there in his character, but clearly he was a strong man and physically fit. He's there for the rest of the night, fighting this man. There's no winner. But you get the sense that Jacob's almost confident here. He's carrying on, he's strong to, to, to continue this fight. And then verse 25, out of nowhere, this man just touches Jacob's hip, just a touch. And the hip is wrenched out, kind of maybe dislocated. It's over, the game is up. There's no way he can win the fight now with his hip kind of completely ruined. But at the same time, at the same time as it's happening, Jacob's going, hang on a minute, this is no ordinary man. Clearly, there's something different here. There's something supernatural, maybe something divine. Because this man can, with a touch, win the fight, dislocate this this hip. I think my first instinct would be to kind of get away, wouldn't it? To to kind of get away from that. But verse 26, do you see what happens? The man wants Jacob to let go. But he won't. He clings on. He's in this huge pain, but he holds on tight. And he says, verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's got a sense, this, this divine man is able to bless me. He's determined to, kind of, to, to, to receive that as part of this fight. We'll look at verse 27, and look what happens next. The man asks him, what is your name? Now, we get asked that sort of question all the time, don't we? What's your name? Our names don't always connect to our character, but we know what Jacob's name means. Can you imagine going through life saying, "Hi, I'm deceiver. Nice to meet you. Oh yeah, nice to meet you. I'm I'm a trickster. I'm deceiver. That's that's what my name means. That's what he says, isn't it? What's your name? Jacob. He answered. It's like this is who I am. This is this is what I'm like. I'm the deceiver. I'm admitting my character here. And it's almost. Like, I wonder if there's this moment. It's almost as if Jacob's realising, isn't it? This wrestling match is almost like a picture of his whole life. He's always been in conflict. He's always been struggling with something. He's living up to his name. So what happens next is amazing. Verse 28. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. No longer be deceiver. But Israel. For you have struggled with God and with humans. And have overcome. This new name. Which... You know, the, the, the meaning that is there. You have struggled with God, a man, and have overcome. It's kind of showing that, that this new name, that that's what it means. Now, that's really significant, isn't it? A few, a few chapters earlier, his uh, grandfather Abraham was given a new name. He was Abraham, now he is Abraham, the father of nations. And Jacob becomes Israel. He has struggled with God, he has struggled with humans, and he has overcome. And now we know the identity of this man. It's God. It's God in physical form. The the angel of the Lord's here in this wrestling match with Jacob. Jacob says, Well, what's your name? He's trying to find out. But God's like, Well, you already know. Why are you asking this? You know who I am. It's no surprise, is it, that he, he wanted Jacob to let go as daybreak came? If you go to Exodus, Exodus 33.20 says this, you cannot see my face. If if you see my face, no one can see me and live. It was dangerous for Jacob to be holding on like that, with that in mind. But Israel leaves that place with this blessing, with this new name. He calls the place Peniel, doesn't he? He has seen God and yet he was spared. And he limps off from this experience. Changed man. He's never going to forget this moment, is he, where he wrestled with God. And he's not able to wrestle. He's got this limp now. But it's almost a sense that he doesn't need to anymore. He's got a new name, a new identity, a deeper relationship, a deeper faith in God. Now, you might be thinking, well, look, it's, that's a great story, Adrian. I'm really glad we can lift this passage to a wonderful, wonderful story. But you're supposed to be starting a series about prayer. What, what's going on? Why are you telling us all this stuff? Well, let's, let's, let's try and bring it to, to prayer now. Let's think about that. Let's, let's try and think about how uh, this passage maybe speaks into that. I've got four things that, that this passage can teach us about our attitude in prayer, the posture we come with, what it should mean for our prayer lives. And here's the first one. We must come in full dependence. We must come to God in full dependence. It's fair to say, isn't it, that Jacob was a complex character. He lived up to his name, uh, to be fair to him, he, he was obeying God by returning to the land. His prayer earlier in the chapter, it, it was a good prayer. But we also saw, didn't we, his actions didn't quite show that he was fully depending on God. He was praying, but he was also you know, making sure he could try and keep his advantage, uh, making sure people would be on his side. I'm going to divide my possessions in half, so I've still got some left. Uh, I'm going to send all these lavish gifts to Esau so that he likes me. I think the actions demonstrate there wasn't something quite there. It wasn't fully depending on God's. And I wonder if that resonates with, uh, with, with us today. I know it does for myself. It, uh, basically, does what we do, do. Do our actions, are they backed up uh, in our prayers? Or do we pray one thing or do we actually act in another way? We know, don't we, we should trust God. We can trust him and his gracious love for us but it's a struggle, it's hard we are sinful, we can doubt easily we can pray for opportunities to, to share our faith to talk about Jesus but then when God gives them to us and opens up an opportunity and you know, a friend comes and asks a question about faith we might struggle to actually act and, and we mumble something and we, we, we aren't bold enough to, to, to speak the truth we pray and ask for God to provide for us, but then we hedge our bets, don't we? we? We work all hours of every day, making sure we've got enough to get by. We save more than we need to, just on the safe side. We pray for blessing, but then we don't prioritize our, our, our spiritual walk with God, the pathways of grace that he gives us. We work too hard, we struggle to rest. We don't prioritize prayer and church and scripture as we should. We don't prioritize our relationship with God. It's a challenge, isn't it? We need to learn that full dependence. We need to come fully relying on God. That's what Jacob needed to do. And that's what he learns, isn't it? That, that we see that change happening in this, this, this passage. This is what we see, that, that, as well as that, we must humbly accept our weakness as we come to God. We must humbly accept our weakness. As I was preparing this passage, uh, I kept asking that question. I kept asking this question. Why didn't God just beat Jacob? I mean, it's not a fair fight, is it? Why was it so close? Why was this going on for so long? Why didn't God just kind of wipe the floor with him? Why is it such an even fight? Well, I think it was the best way to humble Jacob. He remember, he's always been a wrestler. He's always been this this fighter, always coming out on top. You wonder, don't you, in the darkness, was there this moment for Jacob? I can do this. I've got the strength. I've got the skills to win this battle. And then immediately his hip is dislocated and he is humbled as God touches him and he goes, do you know what, I can't win. He realises the true strength of God. He recognises this is a fight he cannot win. He has to admit defeat. Do you know what, that's true for us as believers as well. We have to recognise that weakness. We've been thinking about that all the way through the service. It reminds me of that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. The Pharisees there at the front of the temple, standing in the middle praying so everyone can hear him. Just look at how good I am, God. Thank you that, 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 you know, I'm so good. Thank you I'm not like other people, especially like that tax collector. And the tax collector's at the back, on his knees saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's the attitude God's looking for. Coming to that realization, coming to that moment of, of humility, we can't win on our own. We, we can never be good enough. Our sin needs dealing with. We can't escape from that. Have you accepted that yourself? Have you come to that moment of realisation that, that the sin in your life has, has ruined everything, it's affected everything, and you come to God in prayer crying out for mercy, crying out for help, have mercy on me as sinner. It's really critical for us to realise that, to have that attitude in prayer. But it kind of goes hand in hand with the next point, which is this. We do what Jacob does next. We cling to God who blesses the weak. We must cling to the God who blesses the weak. This is a key moment in the passage. You see, it's how Jacob refuses to let go of God in verse 26. He's he's been defeated. His hip has been wrenched. He's in huge pain. But what does he say? He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It's real boldness, isn't there? Real boldness. He's just been humbled. He's just been recognized. He can't win. But he's saying, I can't let you go because I need your blessing. I need your favor. Your strength is what I need to find hope. In Hosea, later in the Bible, Hosea 12 verse 4, he refers back to this encounter. That's what it says about Jacob. He, he struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. It's important to see that. How did he overcome? Because he didn't win the fight, did he? No, he found his victory. He found this victory by knowing his weakness, by acknowledging his weakness, and then clinging to God, weeping, pleading for blessing. He found victory and blessing in his weakness, in that moment of defeat. It seems backwards, doesn't it? But actually, I found a really helpful uh, way of explaining it, this, this paragraph here from... One of the commentaries. This new weakness is a strange upside-down blessing to a man of great strength. But it is precisely this that is the answer to Jacob's insistence that he be blessed. Down through history, it has been God's strange and beautiful pattern to pour out his grace through weakness in order to comfort his people in adversity and affliction. That is God's pattern. To pour out his grace into weak people. And it's so important to learn that and understand and grasp that. That actually, when Jacob leaves, he has this new confidence, and he? he has this new name. He, he, he goes as Israel to meet Esau. There's this deeper faith, perhaps deeper trust in God, despite his weakened state. He can't, there's no way he's going to win a fight with Esau now, but he goes ahead of his family. He's the first one to Esau. He trusts his Lord's. He clings to the God who blesses the weak. And that is a really helpful lesson for us to think about as we start thinking about prayer as a church. When we realize our sin, when we realize our weakness, we can't do it on our own and we're, we're helpless. What do we do? Do we, do we try and hide from God or get away from him because we don't think we're good enough? Or do we cling to him because actually he's the only place we find blessing, the only place we can find hope? The verse in 1 John this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is the truth of the gospel that we cling to the one who was crushed for us. You know, Jacob was injured here. Jesus faced the full wrath of God on our behalf, He was crushed for our iniquities. We cling to the Lord who gave Himself for us. He's the one who died in our place. He's the one who, who gave it all. He paid it all. We remember that in the song. He saves us when we come in sorrow, when we turn away from our sin. He makes us new. He forgives us. We are given a new identity, a new name. We, we are united with Jesus. That's the perspective we pray from, friends. We, we, we never let go of the Lord. Uh, one of my favorite songs from a Christian music artist called Andrew Peterson um, he, he's talking to his, his son and it's a song about kind of, you're going to get lost you, you're, gonna, you, you're not going to always get it right, what do you do when you realise you've got it wrong and you turn back it's like go back to the Lord and it has this line lash your heart to that ancient mast talking about the cross, lash your heart to that ancient mast, I love that line it's like cling to the cross, cling to Christ come back there That's where you find life. That's where you find mercy and hope and forgiveness. Cling to Christ. That's where we find blessing. Because Jesus died to make us his own. That's where we find transformation. That's where the spirit comes and enables us to live godly lives. With that new identity, with that new purpose. We cling to him. And we pray with that kind of attitude, with that posture knowing that that we have to hold fast to him to find that blessing. Now, friends, you may not be a believer here today. You may not be following Jesus. Maybe you don't know these things. Maybe actually, in some sense, you're still wrestling with God or wrestling with other people, trying to prove yourself, trying to come out on top, refusing to accept that actually you need him. Maybe your character is like Jacob, always, always scheming, always trying to come out on top somehow if that is you, maybe God is calling you to surrender today, to admit your weakness, to admit defeat, to, to, to admit the fact that you need God. You need that blessing from him, the blessing of new life. And if you come, you turn away from your sin, come to him today, you can find that. If you want to know more, come speak to me afterwards. I've got one more thing to, to say from this passage. Another principle for prayer. We pray with a limp. We pray with a limp. You know, every now and then uh, my knee kind of goes. Uh, something, I don't know, my kneecap kind of shifts and I, it gets really sore and I end up limping around. And that's the thing about limps, isn't it? That, that It's a kind of constant reminder of weakness. It's always there kind of nagging away. And you can sit down for a few minutes and you feel okay. And then you stand up and you start walking. Oh, it's back. You don't forget your weakness by that. You remember it again and again. Now, we don't know how long Jacob's limp lasted for. Some seem to suggest it probably lasted the rest of his life. It's possible, it's possible it healed over time. But do you see, there was real significance to this limp, isn't there? In verse 32, it's, like it's recorded, isn't it? Uh, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. It was a way of remembering. The, 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 the limp was a pointer to, to remembering the weakness. That's what we need to remember, isn't it? We are weak. God is strong. We need to cling to him. It's significant, isn't it? God's people become the people of Israel. That that, that name for them is really significant, isn't it? That, that This idea that, that, that actually victory is found in weakness, in the struggle, overcoming it, is by admitting weakness and trusting God's strength. And that's exactly the same for us as God's people today. It's a helpful posture for our president that we pray with a limp. We pray always remembering that weakness, always remembering his grace, his strength, that the foundation of our faith, it, it's him. He's the one who gives us faith in the first place. He, he, he calls us to trust him. He enables that to happen. So let me encourage you to think about that as we, as we finish. How, how can you remember to pray with a limp? What does it mean for you to remember that weakness, that, that need that you have? Is it a memory verse that you can, you can commit to your heart and keep coming back to that that, that? that You're weak, but he is strong. Maybe it's writing things out or reminding yourself on a regular basis that we are weak. Because actually that's the glorious reality of the gospel, isn't it? We pray with a limp. We pray in weakness. And that's where we find victory. That's where we find blessing. Because God is strong. So let me encourage you, when you are feeling weak, when you're struggling, and life is hard, when, you're get, when things have gone wrong, Don't hide it away. Don't pretend that you're strong when you're weak. If you're struggling with sin, then turn away from it quickly. But come to the Lord, cling to him. Find blessing there, find hope there in God's strength, which does not fail us. And if we've got any doubts that God wants us to approach him like that, uh, I'm going to finish with the same words actually that, that Eve read during the press. There's God speaking to us. That wasn't planned. That just uh, this happens to be the case. But these verses from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Do you see how significant that is? He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He cares for us. He knows what we're going through. And he doesn't tell us to leave and never come back. Do you see what he says instead? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We approach with confidence, we we, we limp into his presence with confidence and find his grace and find his mercy. Why don't we do that? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you are strong. Thank you that we can trust you fully and know that you will never let us down. And Lord, we are weak and we don't always get it right. Our sin affects everything and it feels like we, should, we, should, we shouldn't be able to talk to you like this. So thank you. Thank you for, for what Jesus has done. Thank you for the hope that Jesus gives us by his grace through his forgiveness, through taking our sin away on the cross. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to come to you in weakness, to receive your strength and your grace. Pray for anyone here today, maybe who does not know that, that they would turn to you today. And Lord, would you help us to pray with a limp, to, to keep remembering and acknowledging that weakness, because that's where we find the power to overcome, the power to change, the power to, 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 to know you, the power to lift you, is in your strength and not our own. So would that transform our prayers, Lord? Would we pray with, with new vigor, with new excitement, with new passion, uh, because of who you are, because of how you have saved us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our Amen.